All right, so um, going back into the Gospel of John, we were in the Gospel of John last week, John chapter 1, the Christmas story according to John, which is pretty weird when you, can, when you compare it to the Christmas story in Matthew and Luke. In Matthew and Luke, you get, you get the wise men, the shepherds, the, you know, Mary and Joseph, and, and uh, the baby in the manger. And in John, you don't get any of that. That's not, that's not the Gospel of John. Um, and, and last week, we talked about, in the Gospel of John, the Word became, well, wait, wait. in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you get to verse 14, and the Word became flesh. That's the incarnation of God, God becoming flesh, God coming to this earth to become one of us. We, we, see, we saw last week that Jesus is the Word, Jesus is the Creator, Jesus is light, Jesus is life, Jesus is God, and He became flesh. And, and that was last week, um, and this week we're going to go through the rest of the chapter, John chapter 1, and how do you respond to that? It's, it's huge to understand what we, what we talked about last week, that, that Jesus would come to this earth, Jesus being God came to this earth, God becoming flesh. Uh, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? And, and last week, I, 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 a couple of verses I, I called your attention to in John chapter 1, verse 10, he was in the world, and, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Next verse says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But then verse 12 is very encouraging. Yet to all who do receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who receive him, to those who believe in him, which I'm hoping is everyone in this room, what a privilege it is, what an honor it is that we are considered to be his children. We are the children of God. So we begin, you know, go back to, you know, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That was all last week. Um, and, and, and the response to that, well, before I get to this response, let me, I, I want to call your attention to uh, verse 37. Um, John the Baptist's disciples, uh, this is Andrew and John. Uh, John. Not John the Baptist, but John the author of, of the book, the gospel here. Um, in verse seven, 37 it says, when these two disciples heard Him say this, I gotta go back. Heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God. When they heard that, they began to follow Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following him, and he asked, What is it that you want? Now I want to just bring attention here. The word became flesh, and these are the first words he spoke in the Gospel of John. Just think that might be significant. Um, the word was with God, the word is God, and the word says. What is it that you're seeking? What is it that you're, you're wanting? And, and this kind of sets a tone throughout the rest of the gospel, of all of his encounters in, in, the, in the gospel of John. Uh, Jesus is, is saying, what are you looking for? And, and what, what does Jesus have to do with that? What is it that you're looking for? And what does Jesus have to do with that? And I think it's a relevant question. It was a relevant question then. It's a relevant question right now for you. And so I want to ask you the same question that Jesus asked them. What is it that you are looking for? And what, is it that Jesus, what does Jesus have to do with that? I, I read of a girl named Karen Chang. She achieved a perfect score on both, both sections of her SAT and a perfect score on the University of California's acceptance index. And no one had ever done this before. 
And so she was interviewed by uh, some reporter for the national news, news organization, and they asked her what is the meaning of life, which I think is relevant. Anybody who, who scores a perfect score on SAT, you should be asking this. You know, this is a smart person. What is the meaning of life? And she says, I wish I knew that. That's best she's got. I wish I knew. You know, you think about all, all you know, we can be so smart, and you can Google anything you want to Google. You can Google anything you want to find out about a lightning bug, and, you know, 42,000 pages come up about lightning bugs. But what is the meaning of life? Nobody can tell you that. Nobody's got an answer for that except Jesus. And so Jesus is asking, what, what is it that you are seeking? And, and let me see if I can help you out here a little bit, you know, to, to, to help you Know what you're looking for. You, you can look at your checkbook, or you can look at your calendar, or you can look at your browsing history, or you can look at, you know, what is it, what is it that you're obsessed with? What is it that makes you mad? What is it that makes you sad? What is it that, that, that drives you, makes you jealous? And, and maybe if you, if you can figure that out, that you can see what you're seeking. What is it you're seeking? But the rest of the question, and what does Jesus have to do with that? Their response Go back to Andrew and John, who, who they start following Jesus. He, he asked them the question, what is it you're seeking? And they said, we're looking for a place to stay. Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That, that, that's their response. He's, what, this deep question, what are you seeking? You know, we're, uh, a hotel, you know, that's, that's the best they got. And, and, and this kind of, Jesus is on this level and the rest of the world's on this level. And you see this in so many conversations where Jesus is talking, you know, up here. And everybody, you, you see it in, in, in John chapter 6 when he says he's the bread of life. And everybody's, oh, bread? We're hungry. No, it's not, no. You see it with the woman in the well uh, when, when he says he's the living water. You know, where Tristan threw, uh, stole my thunder here. Um, you know, he, he's the living water. And, and, and the woman at the well says, you don't even have a bucket. You know, Jesus is talking up here. Everybody else is thinking down here. And this is what's going on in John chapter 1. He's, he's asking Andrew and John, what is it you're seeking? And, and they're just thinking, they're living in the moment. You know, what are you doing today? You know, where's the bathroom? That, that's what they're thinking. So um, you, you go on verse 37. When, when two disciples heard him say, uh, heard John the Baptist say he's the, the Lamb of God, they followed him. Turning around, Jesus asked them, what is it you're seeking? And they said, where are you staying? And his response to that, come and you will see. These, I just highlight this as the second words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. First words, what are you seeking? Second words, come and you will see. What an invitation. He, he's inviting these people. Come with me. He knows they're shallow. He knows they're just talking about a place to stay. But he's got so much more to show them. Here's the good news of the Gospel is that, that Jesus invites everyone to follow him. He, he invites everyone to come and see what he's all about. You see it in John chapter 6, verse 37. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's, a, that's an awesome verse right there. John 7, verse 37. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The invitation's for everyone. Matthew 19, verse 14. Jesus says, let, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. He wants the children to come to him. Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. It's, it's an open invitation. It's, it's for everyone. Not just Andrew and John, but it's for everyone. Come to me. Come to me. That's the good news. Come and you will see. And, and, the, and the good news is it doesn't even matter if you have the wrong motive. 
Because I wonder how many people come to church, you know, what, what initially got you here? You know, was it you wanted a good place for your children to grow up? You, want, you, you were having marriage problems, you were having financial problems, health problems, something that got you here. And Jesus, that's okay, I'll take you where you're at, but I'm not going to leave you there. I got so much more to show you. That's Jesus' response. All right, so, so I say all that to set this up to, I, I, want, I want to talk about the four wise men. You've heard about the four wise men, right? Um, the, the, uh, okay, well, this is weird. Um, okay, but anyway, that's where I'm going. John chapter 1, the four wise men, according to John. The four wise men that you've never heard about before, okay? But here we go. John chapter, John chapter 1, we, we begin with the word, uh, in the beginning was the word, the word became flesh, the word is God, okay, all that. And then in John chapter 1, verse 6, it introduces us to John the Baptist. There, there came a man who was sent from God, his name was John. They're talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man that was coming to the world. And then, and then it talks about, and the word became flesh. So we, go, we, we are introduced to the word, and then we're introduced to John, John the Baptist. And then we're told the word becomes flesh. And then we go back to John the Baptist again. In John chapter 1, verse 24. Now some Pharisees who had, seen, uh, who, had, who had been sent questioned John the Baptist. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ or Elijah or a prophet? And he says, I baptize with water, uh, John replied. But among you stands one who you do not know. He is one who comes after me, the thongs of which sandals I am not worthy to untie. And then you skip down a few more verses, verse 35, 36. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. This is Andrew and John. And he saw Jesus passing by, and he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God. This is our first wise man I want to talk about. John the, ba John the Baptist is pretty wise to see this. John the Baptist, to see Jesus Christ and point out to everybody else, this is the Lamb of God. I want you to think about how significant the Lamb was. I, I might have said this last week, but in, in, in Jewish culture, and Jewish history, in, in, their, in their worship, the Lamb was a pretty important part of that. It, be, it goes all the way back to Passover uh, when they were led out of Egypt, out of bondage, and they were told to take a lamb and, and to, to sacrifice that lamb and take the blood of the lamb and smear it on the doorpost. And if they would do that, the angel of death would pass by. And that... That was the celebration of Passover, and, and the, the, the Jewish people have been celebrating Passover ever, ever since. Um, it all was about the lamb that was sacrificed, and their blood, the blood of the lamb, uh, covered the doorpost so the angel of death would pass by. And this, uh, it also became part of their, their worship when the temple was built. Um, the, the, the custom was on the Day of Atonement, everybody would take a lamb, the, the father of every family would take a lamb and lay his hand on that lamb and they would sacrifice a lamb and that lamb would be a symbol of, the, of their sins, of his family being taken away. You see the symbolism there. The, 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 as he lays his hand on the lamb, he would identify that lamb is, is dying in my place, dying in my family's place. Um, so, so you see the importance of the lamb. And here John the Baptist is saying, behold, the lamb of God. And for the first time ever, the connection is made that the lamb is a person sent for the atonement. Our, our atonement so we can have peace with God. The lamb is a person. That was, that was huge. And John the Baptist saw that and recognized that the lamb, he makes a connection, the lamb and the Messiah are the same person. He tells her, behold him. 
Look at him. Recognize, understand who this is. And, and, and what John the Baptist said 2,000 years ago is as relevant today as it was then. You and I need to take a moment and behold who Jesus is. Understand, he is, he is the lamb that removes our sins. I, I, I tell people all this all the time. You, you can't understand the good news until you understand the bad news. The bad news is we're all sinners. We, have, we deserve the wrath of God. And then you think about why Jesus came to take that wrath away, and now you understand the good news. You'll never understand the good news until you understand the bad news. The bad news is we're sinners. The good news is Jesus came to die for our sins. Behold the Lamb of God. That's the first wise man. And then, and then I want to talk about Andrew, one of John the Baptist's disciples. It says that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, a little further identification there, was one of the two who heard what John had just said when he said, Behold the Lamb, and who had followed Jesus. So, so Andrew and the other disciple, who we know to be, or we think, would be the writer of the Gospel of John, would be John. So Andrew and John, at this moment, they start following Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did, this is in verse 40, I think John chapter 1, verse 40, 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. So what, what's his response? Andrew's response? We have found the Messiah. How profound is that? What an awesome statement that is. And, and, and just, uh, I think this is interesting. We, we have found, that's written in the Greek, it's the word eureka. So it actually, in the Greek, it's Eureka, the Messiah. That's what it says. I think it's really cool. All right, anybody who's new to Christianity, I want to explain this here. Messiah, what is that? What is that? Messiah is the Old Testament reference for the one to come. Um, in Hebrew, it would be Messiah. In Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, it would be Christ. And Christ is not Jesus' last name. I just I want to point that out. You know, people think Jesus Christ, uh, that's his last name. No, no it's, it's, it's his title. The Bible also talks about Christ Jesus, all right? So Christ is the title. In, in, in the Old Testament, it's Messiah. In the New Testament, it's Christ. Same word. In English, it's the anointed one. In, in, in a little Old Testament history here, the, the ones who were anointed in the Bible were typically priests and prophets and kings. In God's instructions, he would tell somebody to anoint that priest, anoint that prophet, anoint that king. And nowhere in the Old Testament do you see one person being anointed as all three offices, priest, prophet, king. But, but you read the prophecies, there's one coming who would be anointed priest and prophet and king, all three. That was, that was going to be the Messiah. The Messiah fulfills all these roles. He's the anointed one, the special one, the Christ so that, that's, where, that's where that term comes from. And Andrew recognized that. We have found the Messiah. What a profound statement. And, and before we leave Andrew, I want to point out verse 42. He brought Peter to Jesus. He brought Simon, Simon Peter. Um, it says he brought him to Jesus. And, and, and this was interesting to me, just getting a little lost in the weeds here. That word brought, this is very interesting to me. That word brought is the same word used to talking about bringing, uh, 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 taking a hold of an animal or a prisoner, and to, to lead them somewhere. Uh, it, so it's, it's, it's almost Andrew drug Peter to Jesus. That's what it means. 
He drug Peter to Jesus. He was insistent. He was passionate. He was intentional about getting his brother to this Messiah that they, they have found. So I just thought that was interesting. Just threw that one in for free. But then I want to talk about Peter, not one of the wise men. Peter didn't say anything wise until you get to the chapter, and until the book of Acts. Okay, but, but, but Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. And, and what, what happens here? Verse 42, Jesus looks at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Um, Peter wasn't looking for a new name, but Jesus, his first encounter with Peter, gives him a new name, prophesying Peter's future. I, I just think this is really cool. And so you see in that, in that one verse, 42, verse 42, uh, that, that his, his name has three parts. Simon, that's his current name. Son of John, that, that reflects his history, his, his heritage, his past. Cephas, that reflects his future. Cephas means rock. It's a picture of what Jesus is going to make him into. You, Peter, you are going, you, Simon, you are going to be a rock. You are going to be a stronghold for me. You're going to be, you're going to be solid. Cephas, when, when we go back to Cephas, in, is Aramaic. Peter is Greek. English, it means rock. So there you go. I thought that was interesting. The, the important lesson here that I want you to see, this, this is Jesus' first conversation with Peter. Um, and the, the lesson here is when you come to Jesus, you cease being defined by your past, your heritage. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It might be important to you, not important in the kingdom of God. You cease being defined by your present, um, what, you, what you have accomplished or what you have failed to accomplish. You know, your, your failures are your accomplishments. Your mistakes are your, you know, the good things about you. That's not how Jesus is identifying you. Um, you start being defined by who Jesus is making you into being. He knows who you are. And he knows who you were. But most importantly, he knows where he's taking you. And that's what I want you to focus on. Because how, much, how many times in this world do we let this world define us? We let you know, the, the, the enemy, Satan, define us. Loser, failure, mistake, a burden, stupid. You know, whatever, whatever the world wants to call you, and we live with that. And we think that. And it might be, it might be accurate based on who you were. It might be even who you are today. But Jesus calls you by a new name, and that's who you will be. Beloved, chosen, children of God, redeemed, restored. That's your new name. And Jesus says, that's what I'm calling you. And I'm starting right now. I just think that's good stuff. So we talk, we talk about John the Baptist, we talk about Andrew, we talk a little bit about Peter, but like I said, nothing wise from his mouth at this moment. Um, and then we get to Philip. Philip, uh, John chapter 1, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And the interesting thing about Philip's uh, conversion, is his story, is he followed him. Uh, kind of boring, really. Um, Nothing sensational here, nothing really to talk about. You know, Jesus says, follow me. He followed him. Moving on. Okay, but I, just to contrast that, you know, to, to somebody else like Paul, when, when Paul came to Jesus, Jesus had to knock him to the ground and blind him with light to get Paul's attention. And Philip, he just says, follow, and, and Philip starts following. 
That's how it's supposed to be, okay? And, and I want, what does it mean to become a Christian? To, to become a Christian means we follow Jesus. That's it's all it is. We follow Jesus. It, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we're, we're going to know all the, the answers in the Bible. It just means that we're following Jesus. Uh, I like how Ray Vander, uh, Land, I don't know how you say his name, uh, he, he says uh, that the greatest praise you can give a disciple is the dust of your rabbi is all over you. The dust of, you, of, the, of, the, of your rabbi is all over you, which doesn't mean you're dirty and you need to take a shower. It means that anywhere the rabbi has been is obviously on you too, um, that, that you were so close that anything he's experienced, you're experiencing as well. It, it means that we are students of the rabbi and we're doing what the rabbi has instructed us to do, Jesus being the rabbi. And, and if Jesus is our Lord, if he's our Savior, if he's our rabbi, and we're, we're disciples of Jesus, then we're going to learn everything we can learn. And some people would object, well, you know, I'm not very academic, you know, I don't read books, I don't do all this. Um, if you love someone, isn't, isn't it just natural to learn everything you can about that person? It doesn't mean that you're a, a brain surgeon, you know, some, some great, you know, straight-A student or anything like that, but you just love them. And because you love them, you want to learn everything you can about them. And, and, and being a disciple means you do what they instruct you to do. Uh, the, the, the old saying, uh, what, the, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? Um, remember all that? That, was, that came back out, that, that was out of the 80s, I think, um, Man, I'm old. Um, but, but, but what would Jesus do? That's, that's, a, that's the mindset of a disciple. How would Jesus respond in this situation? What would he do in this situation? All right, so Philip, all he did was follow. But the, uh, verse 45 is one I want you to see. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the, the, the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Okay, Philip followed, but more than followed, he, goes, he finds Nathaniel, and what does he say to Nathaniel? We have found the one Moses wrote about. We have found the one the prophets wrote about. So Andrew says we have found the Messiah. Philip is saying we have found the one that, that all, the, all the Old Testament was pointing to. Pretty profound words. Pretty profound words. Well, Philip found Nathaniel, and now we've got to talk about Nathaniel. Who's this guy? Nathaniel is also known as Bar Bartholomew, okay? Um, and Philip found Nathaniel, Eureka, you know, once again, Eureka, uh, and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote about. And Nathaniel, what's he, he do? He says, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Come, come from Nazareth? Because Nazareth, I mean, that's like backwoods country. That's, you know, everybody chews tobacco and date, dates their cousins out there. You know, it's like nothing good come, comes from Nazareth. Uh, and, and when I read that, I was thinking, Naz, uh, Nathaniel seems to me to be like the Eeyore of the, of the Bible, of the, all the, the disciples, you know, kind of pretty negative. Um, his response is pretty negative here. And Philip says, come and see. Come and see. Philip, who said, we have found the one that Moses wrote about. We have found the one that prophets uh, wrote about. Nathaniel doesn't buy it, doesn't, doesn't buy into it. And Philip says, come and see. What, just giving you a great technique here to tell your friends in, uh, about Jesus Christ, people who want to argue with you, people who are negative about the things of, of Christ, the things of God, about the Bible. And Philip just says, come and see. Check it out yourself. What, 
what a great response to your friends, to your family. You know, just, just come to church with me on Sunday morning and, and check it out for yourself. Come to the three-thirds group on Wednesday night and check it out for yourself. Come to, come to a Bible study at my house. Check it out for yourself. Just come and see. All right, so, so we see Philip's response. Now we're seeing Nathaniel's negative response, but, but it gets better here. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. That's what Jesus says about Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says, how do, how do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You see that response? I'm thinking he's pretty wise himself. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And you get all that because Jesus saw him under a fig tree? Really? That's kind of weird to me. Um, and I'm thinking something significant happened under that fig tree. If, you, if you've seen The Chosen, The Chosen depicts this here, Nathaniel being a broken man under that fig tree. Like at the end of his rope, his life was over. And this is where Jesus finds him. I'm wondering if anybody can relate to that. If you got a fig tree in, in, your, in your story. And that's where Jesus found you. And Jesus knows all there is to know about you. And, and, and by the way here, there's this phrase, here is a true Israelite in, in whom there is nothing false. Kind of gives me the impression that Nathaniel was under that fig tree being a broken man because he was falsely accused. Um, everybody thinks he's guilty of something that he wasn't guilty of. And Jesus says, I know you. I know the true you. I know, I know what you're going through. Um, if Jesus were to come into your life and he knows everything about you, your, your good thing, your good parts, your bad parts, he knows it all. And he communicates that he still loves you anyway through it all. Would you not follow someone like that? I, I began this sermon. I, did, I, want, I want to begin with the words, first words of Jesus. What is it that you're seeking? And, and I would tell you that most Israelites, most people today, we're not looking in the right place. We're not looking for the right stuff. The Israelites weren't. They were looking for a Messiah, but somebody who was going to conquer Rome. They were thinking on this level, you know. Um, God's thinking so much higher. Um, what they really needed was a Messiah that would bring them back to God so they could have peace with God, so they could walk with God. I'm going to give you a couple more verses before I shut up. In verse 50, um, once again, Jesus is talking to Nathaniel. Jesus says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Want you, what, is, what is he telling Nathaniel here? You will, see, you will see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The, I, I, I want to call your attention to the Old Testament here. Now, where, do you, where this phrase, you will see the angels ascending and descending, where, where does that come from? Does anybody know? Anybody, any thoughts? Somebody in the first service figured that out. I, I thought that was really cool. This is, this is talking about Jacob's ladder. Jacob, you, you've heard the story about Jacob's ladder? You know the story about Jacob? Jacob was at the end of his rope. Jacob, who had deceived his brother Esau for the birthright, 
and had ran away from his family. And now at this point, his father had died, and he's, he's making his way back to reap the consequences. But he, he's penniless. He's familyless. He's, 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 nothing, he's got nothing. And he lays down. He has this dream, and he sees these, this ladder, these angels descending and ascending. And it's a message from God, I am with you. I am with you. I will be with you. Jacob, who is a cheat, Jacob, who is a, you know, a loser, I, I don't know what you want to say about Jacob, but, but God says, I'm with you. And it's the same message that Jesus has given Nathaniel. You know, no matter what the world is saying about you, no matter what you're going through, I am with you. The angels, you want, angels will be ascending and descending. And, and here we live in a world that has made, done weird things with angels. You know, they're like your cupids, they ride on clouds and they're cute and all that stuff. You know, when, when a person encountered an angel in the Bible, what was the first words out of the angel's mouth? Do not be afraid because they're scary people or scary things, whatever. They, there's something to fear here. And so their message was always, do not be afraid. Angels are the, 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 the might of heaven. So Jacob has this dream of, of, of these angels ascending and deceiving, ascending and descending. He, he, it's, heaven's, it's heaven's mighty militia um, traveling to and fro. And the promise is that this might is going to now assist Jacob on his journey. And, 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 and Jesus is telling Nathaniel the same thing, that the, the might of heaven, these angels of heaven would assist Nathaniel. But, but here Jesus throws in a little twist, though. He says, you shall see heaven open up. You shall see the angels of God ascending and descending on who? On, on Jacob? No. On Nathaniel? No. On the Son of Man. You'll see the angels of heaven ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And, and what Jesus is saying here is pretty astounding here. Uh, Jesus, who came to this earth as a baby in a manger, that nobody's scared of. Like, you know, this is a humble, poor Nothing, God in the flesh. But to, the, to our eyes, it looks like nothing. And Jesus is saying that all the power of heaven is with him. And I just want us to understand, Jesus, who is the Messiah, who Moses wrote about, the Lamb of God, he could have come as a lion, and, and that's what we deserve, because of our sins, he, he could have come as a lion and he could have destroyed us all because we have lived in rebellion to God. But he came as a lamb to die for our sins. He could have showed us his power in, in terrible ways, but he showed us his power not by destroying us, but by dying for us. And now that lamb offers salvation to all who would receive it. And I'm asking you, what is your response to that? What is your response? John the Baptist says, look, behold, the Lamb of God. Andrew says, we have found the Messiah. Philip says, we have found the one Moses wrote about. We have found the one the prophets wrote about. Nathaniel says, he is the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. What, what do you say? Who is Jesus to you? Do we really believe that he's the Christ, that he's the Messiah, that he's God in flesh? He can give you a new identity. He knows everything about you. 
He came to die for your sins. He rose from the dead. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. He is the King of kings. If you don't believe that, you're not going to tell anybody about it. But if you do believe that, how can you be silent? So my question is, what's your response? How do you, how do you respond to the word that became flesh?